Welcome to the Prime Talk with your hosts, Dan and James. All right. We are live in our secluded bunkers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Grog Talk. I'm James. I'm Dan. And Dan, and we, is, Dan is in the remote lair, but together, where are we? We are Pizunia, in the abyss. Ah, in the, in the abyss, that's right. Hey, so uh, we've got a bunch of folks on. Just make sure our sound is okay. Uh, for those who are following me on Twitter, you know that uh, the virus not only has taken our lives and our freedom, but they took my hard drive. So um, we are, uh, I had to rebuild the computer and get everything in. Okay, good. Thank you, sir. The angry monk has said we are okay. Uh, okay, excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it looks even better. Oh, well, that's wonderful. So uh, <laughs> we should be socially distancing from now on. So uh, go ahead. Well, James, you're, you're in the center now. Yes, you're I, usually off to the side. I got all this room now. It's all just great. It's all mine again. So because yeah. I because I, I take up so much room. That's right. Well, we want to be close, but that's those days are gone. They're like, what a difference two weeks makes. We were drinking beer here. We were uh, talking to Dave. We were things were going well. Yes, I do have a left arm. They're all commenting that <laughs> <laughs> I haven't lost. Which, by the way, we'll talk about in Dragon Thirty Five, uh, talking about spell casting and two arms as well. So. Oh. That's I'm glad right. you mentioned that. Oh, I think she, I think Gene Wells got in trouble with Gary for that one. Oh, really? Okay, good. I yeah. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, I think he, he, he had an issue with that one. Oh, really? Absolutely. Okay. We'll uh, talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So, and then later uh, at the break, we will be bringing on uh, the Scourge and the uh, Immolator to talk about the book that shall not be named. This is what they've, everyone's, this is like the uh, shark episode. We may not have a show after this, because once you jump the, sh once you've gone over this, oh, you're very good, I love it. That's very good. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderful. Wait, uh, did you show the name? Did you show the name? No, I'll do this. Sorry. Thank you. There you go, <laughs> there you go. You can it's, edit it out later. That's right, it shall not be, it shall uh, not be named. Or shown. Uh, hold on. Someone just defacing the book. What is that? Oh, okay, great. Someone's just alerting me. Did you hear that beeping, or did, did it go through your headset? Yeah. Okay, excellent. All right. So we're going to get going. We have a lot of folks online, so hello to everyone. Uh, Menion is on. Uh, Cyber Heston is on. So welcome to all. And, of course, Scourge is on, which... So uh, we're hoping, if we're all still alive... Uh, Grog, GrogCon. I mean, this is almost like uh, Forrest Gump and uh, Bubba on the ship. We may be the last con left in October. <laughs> you know, all the other ones, Gary Con was supposed to be, uh, right? That was last week? Yep. Uh, that didn't that, happen. That's our new slogan, isn't it? Because you have no other choice. <laughs> that's what we've heard. <laughs> people, on people on Twitter are like... Uh, People on Twitter are like, hey, we noticed your uh, four hours on YouTube is not the same as the two hours on the podcast. I'm like, well, two, you know, that's a lot. They're like, we need as much content. We're, we're under house arrest. I said, wow. Uh, so we are better than prison. That's basically yeah. it. Well, no, the supply and demand is completely changing now because now we're going to be like, you know, people are going to be like, can we come to GrogCon? We'll be like, we'll think about it. 
Maybe. We we were begging. Now 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 we've got the power. We we not we we do have the power. You're exactly right. Uh, now they're debating. This is the only bad thing. I'll have to fix for you, uh, so you can see the comments because they're all. Uh, that's GrogCon, better than prison. Exactly. That's going to be the name of it. Um, <laughs> slight, slightly better. Uh, you know, and now they're debating between Orcus and Jubilex. So that's. Oh, look, hold on. That's right. Can I show off my shirt here? You can, absolutely. What you think of that? That's can beautiful. Can you read that? Absolutely. Yeah. What would Jubilex right. do? Right. I, I was wondering if we could get uh, little, art, little wristbands, you know, like they used to yes. do. Yes. Yes. When yes. in doubt, what would the Lord of Slimes, the, what the faceless one, want what from that? You, you know what? It's very strange when your wife says, what does that shirt mean? And I'm like a 50-year-old man saying, well, this is the demon Lord of Slimes and Jellies. <laughs> it just doesn't seem very adult-like. No. You know? and, she, and that's when she turns and walks away. She's like, I married this guy? <laughs> I married a guy who's wearing a T-shirt that's paying homage to the demon lord of slimes, jellies, and oozes. That's right. The face of puddings. One. Puddings, and, and, too. Does he have puddings? He's got puddings. I guess right? he does have puddings. Okay. Is there a Yeah, there's a ochre jelly. What are they? Right. They're jellies. Slimes. Puddings. Yeah. Slimes and. Did I say oozes already? Yeah. Oozes, no, slime. Oozes, yeah. Oozes, slimes, jellies, puddings. Are there four? I, I think of the ones he, he uh, has, has his retinue. Yes, that's correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. But okay. Uh, that could be a good question. For when we do a grog certification, name yes. all the uh, one to four slimes, two to four jellies, one to four oozes, one to four black puddings. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. that's that's a good thing. Uh, uh, they want to know where you got your shirt from. Did you just made it get it custom made? Yes. It, it's it's hard to believe that <laughs> there's not a, a real market. For, for, for Jubilex paraphernalia. <laughs> I'm not, hey, listen, I've worked hard in my life. I've reached the age where, like, look, I, I'm going to spend my money on what I want to spend my money on. And if I want to I want to make a team. You know, what I wanted to do is I wanted to have a cut-and-paste job of Jubilex's drawing. Right. But I felt bad. Well, that'd be copyright. I didn't do it because I felt that'd be, you know, I right. felt that'd be copyright. You know, I'm the guy who's... I'm actually complying with the stay-home order. You're not under a stay-home order, right? I am. That's right. We we uh, we we cherish our freedom above uh, our lives here in in the county that I live in. So right, you're you're libertarians. Oh, is that the grog line? You heard that? That's so far away. Yeah. I don't know what so, that is. So no, I had I made this shirt, you know. So I, well, I didn't make it. I'm not. I didn't like didn't go to Michaels, but I uh, I just you know these companies. You just yeah. Type in whatever you want. Well, send it to you. I, I think there's a market out there. We need to come up with Grog Tog merchandise. I think we're at that point. So this will be one of the shirts we put on. Jubilex <laughs> too. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And well, people so. want people want the bracelet. They, uh, I'm sure they want Go Delicious, the the uh, goat, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's a bunch of things. We'll have to talk about that later. Anyway, let's. Yeah. I I don't really have. I know we have like 18 hours to fill today, but we've we, let's keep uh, let's keep moving let's keep moving on here. Um, the Grognods Guild Online, uh, Bryant, uh, he's still he's doing he's doing well. I don't know if they had a game yesterday. Uh, I think he's having a one shot this Sunday at one o'clock. Um, if uh, if people are interested, they can go out to the meetup or go out to Skype and uh, or just send me a note and I'll be happy to forward it to him. I know everyone's pretty desperate for 
getting their gaming needs. And uh, Brian's done a really nice job for that, and he's online, so um, if he wants to put in the chat about what the game is, he can do that as well. Uh, let's see what he said about that. Godalicious, oh, that's right, uh, that's right. For Carlos, he's reminded the Godalicious and the uh, dragon uh, scenario that we had when that, when that went down. That was the that, that was the demise of Go Delicious, wasn't it? That, that was, but the the amorous uh, surprise induced combat was probably something he didn't really want to think about too much. So, um, what else we got? We have what well, we gave away to David Thompson. I'm hopefully this week. Now that uh, I've, some of my work duties are slowing down, um, we will be. Do you have dice, by the way? Of course. Okay, excellent. Good. You'll be doing the dice rolling. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Uh, oh, I think I also have your green dice yes. from the St. Patty's days, but I took them, sorry. Oh, oh, I know, I left the bag out here. You're like, oh, yeah. You're like, I'm never seeing him again. He's a dead man, let me take these dice from me. That's fine. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. No, no, you know why we're gonna, I know, we know we're going to survive the coronavirus. You know how we, we know this, James, you forget. Oh yes, that's right, we rolled there. Yeah, I've got what? I'm down to two years probably two years by this left. point. That's right. Dan Gromanski has two years left. Uh, Un unless that's how long the coronavirus lasts. Well, that's, yeah, that's another story, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you may just be lingering on for two years, which, which, <laughs> would, be, which would be sad. But yeah. perhaps you can get some divine intervention and, and, and do that, which uh, we've got an interesting random encounter we're going to have to do in, in just a second. But. Um, before that, we do have a heraldry to give out. So let's, uh, and this is, again, thanks to our patrons. A lot of them are on t right now. I know times are, are maybe getting tough for many of you. So if you continue to help us and support us, thank you so much for that. We know this has been impacting, all kidding aside. Um, so we thank you for that. And so we want to uh, uh, celebrate you all. And that's why we do giveaways. That's why we give out the heraldry. Uh, and we give special events. So again, thank you to our patrons. So uh, let's roll. Yeah. We got uh, the, let's do it. the plague will not stop giving out titles. The empire is gonna continue to grow. In fact, in this uh, times of trouble, we should be expanding. We should be taking advantage of this. Our empire should grow. So uh, Mr. Jonathan Becker has claimed a Seattle. Oh. Uh, but he has made a request so I'm gonna look here and I'm gonna give, he wanted something, because obviously Seattle two weeks ago was under a plague. You know, it was one of the hot spots. So yes. he wanted some kind of relevance to plaguing. So I may, you know, I'm trying to look over the list here to see, uh, we, we may, uh, under the last one, we may call, call him the plague lord of Seattle. So I'm just, <laughs> uh, just. Just we may make depending on what we get for seven, we may do that for him. Yes, no more scourges. All right, so are you are you ready, sir? Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be like some anti-plague. You know, it's 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 these these the plagues, he, the plague lord. Yes, he had made an, uh, a, a petition to us to have a special um, dispensation to be called the the plague lord or something related to that, and I said, well, absolutely. Because we need to remember this for our posterity. Okay. So. Well, you know, you know, one one of my favorite deities uh, deals with disease. Yurtris. Oh, Yurtris. That's the right. Orc deity. Yeah, the orc deity uh, of disease. But you know, they also pray to Orctris, or Yurtris uh, to avoid disease as well. But okay. But I digress. All right, we're ready to roll. Yes. Roll a d thirty and divide it by two. Well, that'll be a six. 
Chancellor. Don't say Chancellor. Don't, yeah, I was going to say, if you say Chamberlain, I'm going crazy. No, it's Chancellor. Okay. Chancellor. Yeah. It's, like a, it's kind of like a judge. You know, the, the Chancellor was uh, the head of the uh, Courts of Equity. This is fascinating, right? This is good. Courts of Equity Hold equity on, I just fell asleep. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I'm Keep sorry. <laughs> You're like, like my students. <laughs> now you know how they feel. Four hours of this. <laughs> this is the only benefit of doing online classes. They can just, like, you know, turn their video off and just sleep. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> when they don't move and they're just sitting there because it's actually a screenshot that's just... <laughs> exactly. You haven't moved in, like, two hours. All right, D30. Okay. D30, let's do it. Not No division, just straight up D30, yep, right? straight up D30. It is a 20. 20, okay, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. Sublime. Uh -huh. The Chancellor Sublime. I like that. All right, an another D30. A 30. Patron. Okay, he is a patron. He is. That's very apropos, the dice yet again, a D15. He's a sublime patron. He's a sublime patron. <laughs> His patronage <laughs> is sublime. It is. 26 divided by 2 is a 13. Emperor. We have another emperor. Okay. I, I like how so many of our patrons... They're not really going for huge land grabs. No. You know, he's like, stop, just allow Seattle. Seattle's he, good. Because the West Coast is up for, is it, he could have like the entire West, do we have anybody on the West Coast? Uh, only, sh uh, no, I've pretty much, we're, we're pretty good. He could have like taken, what, Alberta? He could have taken the Rocky Mountains, basically, West. Right, West, everything West <laughs> of the Mississippi. Well, that's what, that's what we, that's what people did, countries did, right? Right. France is like, or whoever, we'll claim, didn't, we'll claim all west of Mississippi. Well, but now we know we have, uh, you know, now that our empire has grown, we're, we're being a little more discreet. That's based on your, on your tribute level. I don't, I don't think we would give oh. the rest. Oh. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, now, okay. If you're at a super level, I mean, there's only one or two who we've given continents to, and there's, there's right. reasons why, so. So like a copper piece is like a small block in that's Brooklyn? That's right. You get your house. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, a room. <laughs> you get yeah, not even the whole house, just a room of it. Let's see. Uh, Emperor, got it. Okay, next D sixty. So a D thirty and uh, something to figure out yep. if it's the top or back. Well, I believe the six sided is the traditional one, right? Yes. Uh, so, uh, all right. So that's it's an eleven, an eleven, and then a two on the six sided. So it is an eleven. Eleven. Fifteen, fourteen, thirteen. Renown. Okay. Renown. Okay. Now you get to, let's, let's see what you roll for the D30 to see if it's better than Plague Lord. Okay. 14. Champion. Yeah, see, I'm going to replace that with Plague Lord. You rolled Champion, but I like Plague Lord better. Okay. I All agree. Right. All right. So. Can I pray to your Tris before the show is over? Sure. Why not? Okay. I, Thank let's, you. Let's let's keep the satanic panic going by doing a live prayer of to uh, a a, <laughs> a, a demi-human right. uh, evil deity. That's with the Jubilex shirt on. That's that's awesome. <laughs> that's right. That's, all right. So hey, it is it is 1980. It is. That's right. Panic is panic is afoot. It's setting in. It's people are freaking out. They're losing their minds. All right. So uh, I'm going to read this for you since you don't have it in front of you. Uh, okay. We now. Uh, uh, do you concur with the bestowing of the title to Jonathan Becker? Well, let me roll. Yes. Sir. Yes. Yes, okay. I do. Okay, good. Excellent. So today we bestow to Jonathan Becker. He is the chancellor, his sublime patron, emperor, renowned plague lord of Seattle. Congratulations. Congratulations.
plague lord. That's right. Excellent. Well, we'll we will post his uh, heraldry up there. I didn't look at the Swedish challenge recently, and we haven't gotten any iTunes reviews. So let's let's start this. Anyway, for those who don't know, um, we have an auspicious group here to discuss the book that shall not be named. Starting with those on the screen to our upper left, we have Carlos Leising from Castle Entertainment. Actually, uh, actually, that's perfect. That's actually perfect, Carlos, because it's blurred out. So that's, that's here's the difference between me and Carlos. I literally printed out and taped. I cut it out and taped pixelation that I found online. He actually has pixelation or whatever blurry. He cast a blur spell. I did. One might say I'm a better gnome illusionist than you. Well, oh, oh, very good, Carlos. That doesn't say much based on Carlos. So Carlos is, uh, before we continue, Carlos is from Castle Entertainment. Uh, he is also uh, a featured DM at GrogCon 2019 and will be a featured DM at GrogCon 2020. Uh, he wrote the uh, featured module from last year and we're planning to do it this year. So Carlos, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, guys. And then we have uh, Vic Dorso, who is also a featured DM from GrogTard 2019. He's already booked his tickets for 2020, uh, Coronavirus Be Damned. And uh, he's also the proud uh, Kickstarter of his module, Keep a Blood Red Falls, which you can find on Kickstarter. Welcome, Vic. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Okay, so, and of course, Dan and I are here. And so, uh, for those who've been with our show, who are now... Uh, have been imprisoned in house arrest in quarantine for how many years? For the last year, and you're catching up on our uh, show. You know that we have uh, decided that our show is focused on we call AD and D first edition 1.0. And so 1.0 is uh, our rule is anything before April of 1985. And the reason is because in May of 1985, if I remember correctly, the book that shall not be named was published. So um, Carlos and Vic are good friends of the show. They actually played past when we did. And um, so for them, this book is part of Dungeons and Dragons. So we've, we've, So I think the goal, of course, is for us to discuss the pros and cons and let the jury of the Grog Empire make the determination of how to leverage it. So for the prosecution, it will be Dan and myself, and then for the defense, it will be uh, Vic and Carlos. So before we begin yes. proceedings, uh, <laughs> Counselor Dorso and I would like to uh, to move that the charges against Unearth Arcana be dismissed before trial. Uh, what, what is the um, what is the basis of that? Yeah, what's the ground? Yeah, what's the grounds on that? Uh, the grounds are, first of all, that you're operating with an incomplete copy of yes. Unearthed Arcana to begin with. What, specifically? Oh, you mean because oh, oh, the pages fell out? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> or were never published. Wait, is, is, wait or, or is, are, are you being serious? Are there different? There's only one, there's only one edition of Unearthed, right? There is only uh, one edition of Unearthed Arcana. Right there. <laughs> This is the complete one. What's what you have is not complete. So what's the difference? Go ahead. That would be correct. So we yeah. would like to move that the charges be dismissed out of hand before even if this goes to trial. Well, um, since Dan is our most legal authority, I would like to put a counter argument that my version of Unearthed Arcana has the 
the errata, which was added after the fact, and I will show that to all those in play. There is the errata on each page. So oh, I do have so all the information. So my arguments will be made from the book completed, even though this is an argument why this book is terrible, in that there are so many rules that you need a Dragon magazine to fix all of them. That, that, in that, that case, in that case, then we would like to have uh, Dan's testimonial dismissed from the case. Well, right. Go ahead. That, we'll we that. need to go back and say that the first edition player's handbook, the Dungeon Master Guide, and the Monster Manual are also incomplete because you pointed it out just now in Dragon Magazine 35 that they were not correct either. Well, that's why we're using so, all, all of them. We, we're, we're fine. And uh, through osmosis, this book has been here for the length of the show. He has had the opportunity to peruse it. He's just using his other book just to have it there. So while we appreciate and, it, and, and, enough, and, we, and, go ahead. And I believe, uh, are you referring to Dragon Magazine 103 and the errata where it was published in, I believe? Yes. Because I have, yeah, so I have, I have looked at Dragon Magazine 103 uh, with the errata, so I, uh, I can tell you that there's nothing in the errata that in any way changes my opinion on the, uh, 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 the uh, usefulness right. of the book that shall not be yeah. named. So I'm, ha I'm happy to argue this with the errata included. Okay, and James, by the way, we were addressing the judge, not you. Oh, well, <laughs> well, uh, uh, Judge Jubilex. It's like Judge Judy, only a little different. Judge Jubilex. Yeah, really not like, that much different, though. Yeah, we should have like a little small claims show with Judge Jubilex. <laughs> I'd like to see what kind of jurisdiction Judge Jubilex there's has. Only one, there's only one <laughs> judge. Uh, since you're the prosecution, would you like to begin uh, your opening arguments? Well, yes. uh, yeah, we, 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 would we will. Um, and again, there is, I mean, clearly you understand this is grog talk. Uh, we are the Grog Emperors, and only because of deference and respect to you that we allow this discussion to happen. Typically, we would have you summarily killed. But <laughs> because of our benevolent nature and the fact that there is a schism throughout the Grog Empire, there are those who promote it, we want what's best for first edition Dungeons & Dragons. So that's why we're allowing this conversation to happen. But with that said, uh, I'll start with my uh, concerns about it. First, it's, it's known that this was a complete cash grab, that basically this was done to uh, a, a compilation of Dragon magazines that they basically repurposed. So it's a cash grab. Second, they, they started this terrible habit of having the DMG and the player's information in the same book, which one of the values of first edition was, here's the player's information in the player's handbook, the DM has a different job, they have other books, and that on page nine, if I remember correctly, no player is supposed to look at any, uh, if, if they, it says, as the book in this exclusive precinct of the DM, you must view any non-DM player possessing it as something less than worthy of honorable death. By having this in one book, it is too tempting for players to look at it, and you've broken the veil. You've taken the veil of the DM secrecy, and you've broken it in half. Now, with the merits of the document, there is the issue of specialization, uh, thief acrobat, all I have to say is barbarian. There are classes that you could, you could create with first edition classes. They're superfluous and redundant, in my opinion. And that's the top three. I'm, there's plenty more with that goes, but I'll let you digest that. Dan, what is your thoughts? Yes, um, I, I adopt 
the arguments that have been made by James. And uh, I, I, for me, the, the biggest problems are, I think there seems to be a type of personality control going on here, which James has alluded to, which is that I don't know why you need to have all these subclasses uh, like Barbarian and Cavalier. I don't know why you can't just play a fighter character uh, and customize them uh, in a way that is consistent with these subclasses. Uh, also, it seemed to me that there was, this really seemed to be a nod in many respects you know what I'm saying? They're all taking notes. I'm very nervous here. They're like, hey, look at this. They're making me nervous. Not them taking, okay, yeah, thank you, Jason. You make me feel better. Take notes for us, too. Yeah, why are you better? You're going to be a note taker. It seemed to me to be a nod to power gamers. So people wanted to be a lot of different classes or, or, or races. They wanted to be stronger, so now you can be all sorts of things. You can be a drow, you can be a Snurf Evelyn, you can all be different sorts of elves. Uh, there's additional classes. So, and I think, if I recall correctly, there's a method for rolling up a character that if you're a human, you can be any character. It will ensure that you're going to be whatever character class you want, which was just, that wasn't the spirit of 1E to me. The spirit of 1E was you were thrilled if you got the roles to be an illusionist or something like that. And I think also what, I, I thought some of the flavor of 1E was that I do roll a two for hit points. I only have two hit points. Now it's, you're getting a minimum number of hit points. And I understand that people like that and people house ruled it. My biggest problem is what James has talked about. This is basically, this should have been a best of dragon. I should have been able to, as the DM, as the dungeon master, pick which ones I wanted to use. Now there's sort of this presumption that I've got to use these. Um, I've got to allow you to be a barbarian. I've got to allow you to be a drow elf or a snurf Evelyn as a player character. Um, so those are my two biggest problems, that they were sort of forcing per, you know, personality control and in addition, a nod to, to power gaming. Very good. So for the defense, you guys can decide how you want to uh, rebut. Dorsa, would you like to begin or would you like no, to? No, Carlos, you go ahead and I'm gonna, I'll add in whatever I need to. All right, well, first of all, I think it's very interesting that my, uh, my esteemed uh, counselors on the other side of the argument would uh, choose to use words constantly in this argument like it seems or I feel. I'm going to counter their opinions with actual fact. And I'll begin with the second book page in the Unearthed Arcana. Oh. If anyone was actually, if anyone here was actually watching Grog Talk earlier, if you put yourselves through that misery of the beginning first few hours of the show, you would have heard uh, James explicitly say that Fiend Folio has to be taken explicitly as canon, because it was a published book by Gary Gygax. Well, I happen to have a book here that says by Gary Gygax as well on the front cover. And I will also read from the foreword on page three, and I quote, thus good reader, here is the last word. I will also go farther to say, you mentioned, interestingly enough, you mentioned all these things that are rehashed as a Dragon Magazine. Well, let me counter that. Comeliness, not Dragon Magazine. Oh, New weapons and armor, not Dragon Magazine. Tracking modifiers for Rangers, not Dragon Magazine. Armor results on thief abilities, not Dragon Magazine. 
New Armor, not Dragon Magazine, which, by the way, introduced concepts like that would be in the future for 3.5, like damage reduction, that are core tenets of Dungeons & Dragons today. Illusionist Spellbooks, not Dragon Magazine. Method 5, not Dragon Magazine. Most New Magical Items, not Dragon Magazine. The entire pictorial on pole arms that all of us wondered for years what they were like, not Dragon Magazine. And I'm going to end and turn over to Counselor Dorso after I mention this as well. In three episodes ago, when we were talking in uh, Grog Talk about uh, great modules of the past, I will quote James and Daniel directly when they say that Lost Caverns of Socanth was one of the greatest modules of all time, because they were quoting me when I said that. I will turn this over to you by mentioning that 90% of the magical items and the new spells that were included in Unearth Arcana came directly from Lost Caverns of Socanth, the module that you guys personally said was worthy and a great addition to Dungeons & Dragons. Counselor Dorso, please take over. Um, I'm, I'm at a loss here. Carlos, you really studied this thing out. Uh, I was I was just going to say, I was going to second your uh, opinion about it's written by Gary Gygax. This is canon. This is canon no matter what. You cannot argue that fact. Correct? I mean, Carlos is obviously agreeing with me. Now, as for these uh, classes and stuff in here that you guys argue about, sure. Nothing's perfect, but guess what? Inside the Dungeon Master Guide, didn't Gary say you can add and subtract rules as you please? Gentlemen? Are you done? Well, is it canon or is it not, then? Is it it's canon? canon. So, so you can add or you cannot, but then you, you say it's canon. Well, it's canon. It's written by Gary Gygax, period. That's all we have to say. I mean, anything else after this is, you know, it's up to you. Do you want to, you know, a second edition part of, you know, what do you think? Well, uh, those are interesting uh, comments. And, of course, they're all stricken because we don't like them. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you knew this was coming. No, but, but we also know, and I don't have the, the source here, but I've, I've already seen, fortunately, some of the Grog Empire says, I guess in Dragon 67, comeliness was, was described there. So strike that from the record. That's true. So, <laughs> so we can't believe anything. Right. Carlos I mean, says. clearly we've seen a pattern of, and, and so we're going to go to ad hominem attacks. No, no, I, I wouldn't say everything. <laughs> it's, all, it's all I've got. I, I would just say That's I right. would just suggest that uh, the uh, length and detail of the defense's arguments may not represent veracity completely, and so we do have to just. I would never impinge your uh, your your credibility and your motives. But um, let's talk about comeliness. It is a superfluous trait. We had six stats, six stats were fine. Now we have seven stats. And the problem with the seven stat is you now have the ability, unlike previous to this, in Dungeons and Deities and Demigods, all those abilities, all the extra things were for deities themselves. But now with comeliness, you have uh, basically the ability to affect others similar to a deity, which to me is clearly a violation of the previous what we were trying to accomplish here. As, as with regards to classes and races, all I have to say is a drow assassin, 
something. What is allowed here? The, the complication of the system where you have to have this chart, chart table three, which was added to the errata because someone apparently forgot that we'd need to know what, what charts there are, that you can have a dark elf, uh, fi not only fighter magic user, a ranger magic user dark elf. If that says the Baroque nature of this uh, thing, that a player can play that, that's not a game I want to play, sir. If loving this book is right, I, don't want, I want to be wrong. Amen. Well, James, it's interesting that you should say feel and seems again in your argument when you said uh, when you were talking about charisma, because I'm going to mention the exact uh, I'm going to quote charisma here from your beloved book, Player's Handbook here, in which it says the Holy Trinity. charisma is the measure of the character's combined physical attractiveness. Well, wow, that's actually in the first sentence. Right. So I guess maybe it's not superfluous to break it down a little bit further for further definition. And if you want to talk about Baroque nature of design, we can just look at the, the Dungeon Master's Guide if you're really interested in breaking that down. Uh, I, I object to that. He's making he's blasphemy of the Holy Trinity. That is clearly a violation. You can, that, Thank you. And I, I'd also, I'd also it's like comparison, to, not it's comparison. I'd like to object on the grounds that Carlos does not appear sleepy. That's right. That's right. He made that was a that was a ruse. He just used that as the rope a dope us. <laughs> he is, he's, like, he's a hustler. And furthermore, I would go so far as to say, if you want to talk about interesting character classes, the player's handbook puts forth that you can. Dual class as a human, you could easily play a ranger, magic user, fighter, druid, thief if you wanted to. Very easily. Can I? Uh, uh, can I, I'd like to. Can I, I'd like to point out some Acomely. What I object about Acomely is here um, is that you know if you have a an attribute which is based solely upon physical attractiveness, I I would be concerned that this would then encourage players to use this. And, you know, I think too many games are already, you've got people saying, oh, I try to pick up that good-looking woman in the bar. Too many games, I feel like, can have a tendency to, to evolve into that. And I think if, if you know how good-looking, you know, I, when you, if you give a character an 18 comeliness, aren't they going to walk around all the being trying to pick up women and that's what your adventure is going to turn into? I mean, what, why do you really need it? I mean, doesn't it potentially cause more harm than good to the actual gameplay? As a dungeon master myself, you try to avoid this, because I play with um, up to three or four women sometimes in my group. So I purposely avoid all that interaction and everything else. I mean, if somebody says, I do X, I look at them and go, no, it ain't gonna happen, you know? Or uh, one of my characters lately was they try to um, influence my female uh, gray elf and I ended up sticking a blade in the in the uh, character's uh, gut and uh, poisoning them and ending that interaction completely so it's it, each dungeon master has their own way of doing things I personally don't like to bring any sexual nonsense in because I have a very diverse group of players. So, Carlos? The rule, the rule in, in and of itself to comeliness really wasn't the main thrust of this argument, really. What it was is we're talking about completeness, all right? Yes, you're right. The rule for comeliness is broken. But so is pummeling, overbearing, and uh, grappling from uh, the, the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide. 
So you can't throw the baby out with the bath. No, I agree. I agree. I agree. Um, hey, are we going to start I, agreeing I, I, now? What's wrong with you? Don't agree with I, them. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't. I don't you, agree. Are, do you have a fever? Uh, do you have a dry yeah, cough? I agree. Are you okay? I agree. He said, no, I agree with that communist is broken. Oh, but okay, the ranger. I'd like to point out something about the ranger, which disappoints me when you can have a, a drow elf be a ranger, is that, and this wasn't Geary writing, but in Sage Advice, somebody asked why, wrote in, and said, why can't an elf be a ranger? Because it seemed to make sense. And a half elf can be. And I know it wasn't Geary, but I, and James knows this, I'm a big fan of the response. The response was, this idea that rangers are, they, they're basically Aragorn, and they're bloodthirsty and, and wanting to kill evil uh, characters. That's why right, the rangers are the one that gets the damage, additional damage, right, against the giant class, if I recall correctly, right? That's correct. Okay, so it was this idea that a ranger was, you gotta be, you know, you're good and you hate evil things. The idea of a drow ranger just seemed to me to be inconsistent with the idea of a ranger. There's that word again, seems. Well, I understand that. I mean, because but, but, no one actually, that's right. I mean, no one actually says that this is what the ranger is, you know, only, it was only stage of But I will tell you, um, a, a drow ranger does, I mean, a lot of it is gonna be based upon seams because it's, 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 does it change the feel for the game? And what one's feel for the game is, is of course subjective. But my, my feel for the ranger was one thing, and I was led to believe that that feeling was correct, that it was basically Aragorn. And the idea, for me, of having a drow elf be a ranger is not consistent with the model of Aragorn as a ranger. So let me let me make sure I have you clear when you, with what you're trying to express here, all right? What you're trying to tell me is that we should stick to archetypes when it comes to classes. And everybody should be essentially a cookie-cutter version of the next character with really no variation whatsoever. Is that really what, is that what you're trying to get across? No, it's not. Because it seems, it seems that way. No, I, I, I think that there is a point at which the type of character class is being extended to the breaking point. So, look, you know, we're, we're clearly talking about things that don't have fine lines. But at a certain point, you know, I think that you are changing, if you are allowing certain, uh, you know, so, I mean, well, let me see this. Well, why don't we just say then every, every race can be every class? I mean, even, even the book that shall not be named does not allow halflings to be assassins. That's correct. So, 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 I mean, because the counter-argument to that is, well, then, should we just not have any at all? The interesting thing about that, though, is that we do have uh, examples of halfling assassins throughout uh, published materials. For example, in the Greyhawk campaign itself, I use his, uh, his uh, it, I can't even think of what it's called right now, the thing they carry around an emperor on, is uh, held by halfling assassins. There's a halfling assassin in Return of the Eight that ends up poisoning a, uh, that ends up poisoning uh, Jalarzy's familiar. So we have these characters in there. It, it's been implied by, by people like Roger Moore and people like Gary himself throughout, throughout history of D&D that there can be shades to these different classes. But, but is, isn't it, isn't it, it's a change to say that it is acceptable, that it is permissible and it's canon. So in other words, it's fun to have maybe the halfling assassin 
in a module and you think that's cool. Isn't it another thing to say now that everyone can be one? Yeah, well, it is canon whether you like it or not. Because, like I said, on page three, Gary says it's canon. It's canon. Gary says that because he needed money. The company was about to be bankrupt. And it's interesting. Whether or not. And it's interesting did that. He, did he tell you personally what his motives were? I don't know. Hey, Gary, did you tell me? No, I don't, I've never talked to him about it. <laughs> because without the Ouija board, I don't think that that's a very good argument. Well, there is, there is, there is other material that's out there that show, showed that information. Yes. I, yes, TSR really needed. TSR really needed hardback level money at that time. Regardless of what the motivation was, it remains canon. You can't, you can't, you can't uh, project your opinion on whether or not it's canon onto the material. It is. Well, there's a lot of things in the material. You don't have to like it. You don't have to use it. Gary says it himself in in both the, uh, the beginning of the player's handbook and the DMG that the rules are guidelines. You don't have to use it, but you cannot dismiss it as not being canon. Well, it is. It is. Well, what our argument is it's not. It's not Advanced Dungeons and Dragons 1.0. It is the start of AD and D 1.5, and that in just a short four years later, the second edition comes, which is basically an amalgamation of all this. It takes uh, the the uh, non proficiencies builds them into skills, and all of a sudden you have second edition. So it's, it's, it's not for, for us, which is what I agree with, is it because talk, it becomes hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You want to talk about a cash grab. Second edition was a major cash grab. They took first edition, pared it down, made it all goody-goody for the satanic panic crowd, and then they published it. That's all second edition was. It's just, it's just basic first edition, as far as I'm concerned. It's great to start the kids on, but that's it. Well, can we talk about Snurf Avalon? I mean, I don't mean to pick on that. Well, I guess I do mean to pick on that. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Serpent Neblin. Right, and the drow. This okay. is, okay, so I guess my, my concern, I think there, there are probably good things in Unearth, uh, oops, what did I want to say? In, in, the book <laughs> yeah, that shall, uh, in the book that shall not be named. I mean, clearly there is, I think what whip is, there's, there's, there's things that I've always wondered about. Why isn't there an entry for that? Like whip, like what, is it, what damage does a whip do, right? right? New spells. I never have a problem. I mean, unless new spells are overly powerful and I, I can't comment on that in this. No problem. New, new magical items, great. No problem. The real issue is with the character classes and, and the strengthening up of the characters that you can automatically become any character class you want. Um, you can be Sir you can be Drought. Isn't there a real change in the vibe of the game? I think that the game, I think the game, the spirit of the game lies in everyone's individual campaign. If that changed your campaign fundamentally, I think that that was something that was projected upon it by your players or perhaps even your own attitude towards it. Because I won't disagree with you. I don't like Dro NPCs. I don't like Smurf Neblin NPCs. The Barbarian class is overpowered and so is the Cavalier class. But again, I don't think you can throw out the baby with the bathwater. There were a lot of very good ideas. There's a lot of innovations that have become time-honored innovations of D&D and later editions that all sprung from Unearthed Arcana. And they, enha they enhance and they heighten and enrich a campaign to the point where I don't think 
that you can consider it not a worthy addition to the canon of D&D. Well, but the challenges are there's some things that seem more egregious than like in the player's handbook. You can't have a halfling, when they become six level, be able to potentially summon an earth mm -hmm. elemental or a zorn. You, you sure. don't have uh, elves who are already considered pretty powerful and, and people would roll their eyes when everyone wanted to be an elf because now you have drow who can, you know, darkness and all the other innate abilities that they have. And of course you'd say, well, if you're in the sunlight, you get minuses, but it's Dungeons and Dragons, sure. it's not cities and things. So 99%. I think that's, to, to Dan's point, the challenges in a dragon magazine or in a module, the dungeon master can say, yeah, that's not part, of, we're not gonna run that. And you certainly have the right to do it. But when it's in the book, and, and the first thing, whenever we play a game, the first thing people ask, are you using this book? And right then and there it sets, if you are, the characters that people wanna play are, are inexorably different than what they would play in the player's handbook. And they all gravitate towards multi-class, super powerful, a bunch of innate abilities, and the zero to hero becomes, if you do play that as a zero to hero, the other players are looking at you, what do you mean you just wanna be a normal thief? When you can be a half-elf thief, I'm just making up the example. And of course. so to me, it's not the issue with the book, it's the back to the canon, I agree with you, it is canon, because it's canon, it causes a, a struggle already with so many more things that you have to parse to get to the game that you want. Um, and, and, and being able to understand like specialization. I think specialization, when I was a player, was great. Fighters kind of got screwed in the first edition. They, you know, again, we talked about paladins having protection from evil and all these great right. things. And they're, while their experience points accelerates much faster, for those first few levels, you get all these bonuses Giving specializations to fighters makes a lot of sense. Uh, and they gave weapons of choice for paladins and cavaliers. So they're still overpowered. Right. Um, it, it, to me, that's back to the, the game you want to run. You're, you're, you can run it, but your, your players feel disappointed and cheated versus engaging it. And I'm sure there's ways around it, but that's, that's been the challenge I've had DMing with this book. Well, we've already established We've already established what I wanted to establish throughout this entire argument with your admission that it is canon. What? That's that's really all I that's really all I care about. But um, it is. See, he knows. That, see, Carlos knows saying. I'm lawful neutral. I definitely see what you're saying, James, and I and I agree with the soul of it to some degree. But I would counter with this. Uh, Dan, you've been a member of my Patreon now for uh, probably about six months. I would say that entire time. You've read several of my modules. In that amount of time, have you ever seen a cavalier cross through any of my submissions? How about a barbarian? How about a guy? No, no. It's never happened because even though I support this book, like James and you have put forth, it doesn't necessarily fit the tenor of what I'm doing, but that doesn't mean it's not a good tool. So, so let's say, so if I'm playing in, in your group, so you're running a, a campaign, Sure. And I say, okay, I want to be a barbarian. Okay. Do I get to be a barbarian? Of course you can be a barbarian if you can make it work culturally. And if you're willing to, to deal with all the penalties that you're going to receive culturally, you can't read. Do you think your, your fellow players are really going to like what you're about ready to do to their magic items? 
Yeah. You might want to think twice about it. I've thought twice. I want to be a barbarian. Okay, if you want to be a barbarian, you're welcome to be a barbarian. You're welcome to, and you're welcome to be miserable at the table. And James is a Smurf Evelyn. James is will is perfectly will fine to be a Smurf Evelyn too. And again, he's going to have to accept the cultural problems that come with being a Smurf Evelyn. There's checks and balances all through the text. But it's yeah. I'm not saying that they're not overpowered because they are. But it's great to have that tool when you need it. Well, I, I get, is it going to, is it going to make it difficult on you though? So for example, I had a player who wanted to play a half ogre and I was a softie and I said, yes. And I'm actually a big fan of half ogres for one-offs. When I run one-offs, I often have a half ogre. I think they're a lot, they're, they're fun. But, but the half ogre, it, 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 it was tough to continually remember that it was a half ogre. Cause what has to happen then is probably they walk into a bar People scream, you know, so it, it, doesn't it make things more difficult on the DM to have, you know, you can say to the player, you got to make it work. And they're like, oh, I'll make it work. But then it, you've got work, don't you, as a dungeon mat? Because now you've always got to stay on them and make sure. To quote, to quote Super Chicken, I knew this job was dangerous when I took it. I mean, honestly, what that's the role of the DM. Is to is to deal with difficult. You're the arbiter. You're you're there to deal with the difficult situations. What you're also there for is to provide an entertaining and enjoyable experience for your players. If they want to play some weird esoteric class, hey man, if they if they're willing to deal with everything that I'm going to put on them for doing it, okay, that's fine. And to answer uh, to David, he was asking uh, in the chat about uh, my opinion about paladins. I have no problem with paladins, but once again going to have to deal with what it means to be a paladin. Right, and I think that's where Dan is coming. We, we, we come from, and you know, I know you all, we do pickups, we do an open table, we want to have a, an, an environment where people can play their characters and have a good time. And, and I would say this with the paladin. The paladin, the barbarian, they if they're not managed and the player is not willing to take the negatives with it, you get the situation where you know the paladin slaughters people. The paladin, uh, the the barbarian finds the potion and smashes it or whatever, so they can get single experience. It sets up these uh, adversarial things, which again now as a DM you have to either challenge or you have to remind the player. Um, whereas some of the more quote unquote simpler classes you don't have it. Is it an abdication of responsibility? Well, yeah, in some ways, in that if you're trying to get you know, we struggle, I think a lot of groups still struggle getting people to play first edition. And if you don't have a compelling world, or you don't have a compelling story, people are turned off before they even get there because they want to play this uh, one-off uh, thing. And that's what makes, that's some of the challenges. But I don't think it's insurmountable. I agree with that. We had a barbarian, but if, if they break the magic items, believe me, the, the party's going to jump on them at some point and, and take exactly. care of it. And, and can I, I want to mention something about the paladin. I mean, I think that two things help reduce paladin abuse. Number one, paladins, of course, can only adventure with good characters rather than just they get one adventure. So, you know, the reality is many groups are not going to have a paladin. 
because people want to be chaotic neutral. And so, you know, you, you have to now take one for the, you know, take one, not for the team, take one just for the one guy. Oh, sure. he, James wants to be a pal, and now we all have to be good characters, and people don't like that. Um, and It was and a second, huge struggle when I was developing uh, Ashala, for example. There's a paladin character in the porcelain sword of Queen Ashala that I wrote for GrogCon. I had to ensure that the other player characters over there would be of a mix that they could support that character, or at least they could find a way to work in that rubric. And actually, if I recall correctly, I played her, and that's when you asked me what my alignment was. You're exactly right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, was so I, I, walk the, I walk the walk, man. <laughs> right, you do? Oh, no, no, Carlos does. Without question, <laughs> Carlos is not just, Carlos doesn't force it. Um, and, and the second thing is, is that you had to have, you had to make the rolls to get a paladin. Sure. Right? And so that's it. So what do you guys think about, so Vic and Carl, what do you guys think about the ability to be any class you want? If you're a human, is my understanding, right? I mean, I, I didn't like, because it wasn't a lot of the fun. You sit around the table, you roll, and, and you get excited. Like, oh, I can be a ranger or I can be a paladin. And, and, and that was part of the fun, it seemed to me. Um, I'll go first with this. For me, I play strictly in the world of Greyhawk. Okay. So um, that right there informs a lot of what happens in my campaign. Um, Gygax's world of Greyhawk is very human-eccentric, okay? You're going to deal with about 85 to 90% of the characters you're going to meet in a, in a Greyhawk campaign if you're rolling with a Greyhawk campaign in the way that the percentages should break down, according to books. Uh, you're going to deal with 90% human characters. So around your table, it should reflect that mix. So I don't, and the reason I put that forward right away is because there's that whole feeling, well, what is the incentive for a player to play a human character if anybody can be anything? Well, it, again, it's cultural and, and it's, it's setting-based in Greyhawk. Well, because because the 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 class level limits they were expanded, right? So one of the reasons why people they were expanded, wanted, right? And what and it's even it's plus two if you could have been multi class. Sure. So if you look, by the way, Luke Gygax has an interesting story about playing Melf, in which he was playing um, he was trying to expand level limits at one point in time with Gary, and he was telling me the story in which he. Uh, you know, he was doing things like find, trying to find tomes of understanding and iron stones and things like that to artificially boost up. The story is very fascinating if you ever should hear it from Luke because the implications on what can and can't be done with level limits within Gary's own home campaign, it really puts a lot of things in perspective. Gary was probably not as hard and fast about level limits as you might expect. We've heard about that a bunch of things. To do as I say, not yeah. as I do. But, Go ahead. But, but level limits. Let's 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 talk about that. Just just let's go back a little bit. Gentlemen, inside the player's handbook and the Unearth Arcana, at certain points in these characters, when they get up to certain levels, they've got so much administrative duty, adventuring becomes nearly impossible. I mean, look at look at the, the Cavalier. If they get up to, I don't remember the level, but they get they get up to a certain point, they've got a hundred men at arms. Basically, you're done. You've got administrative stuff. You've got all kinds of other stuff. You have a fiefdom or something like that. You're out of the game. 
And the same with other classes, clerics, paladins, uh, they, they attract followers and everything else. So level limits, sure, there's level limits, but by the time that point comes along, there's so much administrative duty. You're on a curve here that goes straight up and you're, you've got too much to do. So you're basically, those characters are out of the game and they are going to be, you know, cavern owners or keeps or they have yeah, a church that, or something else you know that totally reinforces my opinion about there being a soft cap as well as there being a hard cap the soft cap is all context within the campaign well let's talk about special i'm sorry go ahead Vic. well that's carlos and i are on the same opinion about yeah, this absolutely you know? You know, you get to ninth level druid. You're not. You're not sitting there. You're not going to be sitting there campaigning. You're. You've got to go around to see all the other druids in the area. Or you know, you get up to that point. You're just. You just don't have the time as a player character you know, to do that. So, all right, Dan, your turn. Well, what? Oh, I get go a, ahead. Don't I get a barbarian horde too at some yeah. point? You do. Yes. Okay. Good luck. Right. Good luck. That's like herding cats right there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's at eighth, eighth level, right? Or something like that? Is that what I remember correctly? Right. So that character is basically out of the Do you game. Know what you get? They, they've got to go back to the barbarian lands, the snow barbarians, the ice barbarians, because both Carlos and I do the Greyhawk, or you're up at Ekber or something, or the, or, you know, the wolf nomads or somewhere like that. That character is basically gone. So, I mean, and that's the way I play it in my campaign. It's like, oh, well, guess what? I start rolling and I go, you've tracked this many people. Well, what am I going to do with them? Well, what are you going to do with them? You know, now you've got to spend your fortune and take care of all this, you know. Correct. Well, I will, I will say I do like there are certain things which I think were necessary uh, for example, the the expansion of the giant class opponents. I mean, because that was necessary because the giant class opponents were identified with the player's handbook, and then you had the fiend folio, right? And 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 so you needed to update that. So that I understand completely. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. So, and 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 the tracking is is the tracking better? How is the tracking different? In, the tracking in- is modifiers is what it is. There's a lot of uh, delineation on different effects, weather effects, time effects that have an ultimate effect on how how well you can track. And they're, and they're practical, too. I mean, if you look at it and you've ever been a hunter or anything like that, or, you know, you look at them, they are practical. They, they will give you a better understanding of, of what happens. I mean, it used to be uh, you had a, a hundred gnolls come up and fight you or whatever, and the tracking, if, if something happened, the ranger couldn't follow them back to where they came from. But with these new rules, that ranger is easily able to follow 100. And that should be the way it is anyways, because, you know, 100 feet crossing the ground is way different than one foot set of footprints, you know. So, yeah, uh, to Vic's point, the two, the two, the 100 uh, knolls that he's tracking would give him a 200 percent modifier bonus. Right. I mean, but, you know, I, so look, I don't have a, a, a problem with that. It sounds like it's, it's a fine addition. But, you know, the way I would have just handled it without the book that should not be named is I would just do a mo- I mean, I do modify. Don't DMs do modifiers all the time just on their own? Right. But what you were saying earlier was how it, things, whether they should be codified in the rules or not. You can't argue it both directions. Yeah, we can. Yeah, no, I know I understand it. I, 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 I just 
That's well, they actually they actually nerf the Ranger a little bit because it's not ninety percent base to start with. You start with no, it's it's it, you, it really brings it down to. And so I actually like these changes. If I were to, if I were to dare crack this book open and use it, I would I've, yeah. I've used that before. That makes my yeah. The Just, Ranger one made that that makes more sense to me. I mean, I don't know that we need more. Do we need more tables though? I don't know. Even if it's a useful table. Do we really need more tables? I don't know. Well, my 1985 version set would say absolutely yes. More tables, yep, more things to look up. My 2020 version, I don't know, just roll just so, roll and try to, let's see what you right, got. Right, 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 because now it's like, okay, I'm going to track. See, this is the way, see, this is, the way I would prefer to do it is, okay, it's a 90% base, and I think there were some, if I recall, oh, I thought there were, mod, there were modifiers there were, under there DMG, were. yeah, okay, under Player's Handbook. But, you know, basically it's like, okay, I'm going to modify it in my head. Whereas now it's like, okay, just a second, guys. You know, Aragorn is tracking. You guys do something for five minutes. I'm going to like calculate all these numbers. So I don't know. I'm just, I mean, and I know that's probably more of, a, of an attack but, on the original AD&D as well because it had right, a lot but of. But Dan, Dan, if you've read the book, you know, like Carlos and I, we can just off the top of our head go, oh, yeah, there's no problem. You're going to be able to track these creatures through the woods. It's it's not going to be an issue. It's it's If you're not reading the book, you're not going to be able to just automatically put that through your head. That's I would great suggest thing about that most of the rules that you guys remember, you remember them from being a 15-year-old when you were playing back then, and you just have carried it over through now. Well, I read this as a 15-year-old, and I've used it since then, so it's just kind of part of my DNA, just like some of these other rules are for you. Page 73, right off the top of your head, or 72, right off the top of your head in the DMG. It's to hit tables, you know, that kind of thing. Well, and I think that's right. I mean, isn't it important here when each one of us started playing? So, you know, I've mentioned Absolutely. this before. Yeah, for me, a big part of this is nostalgia. And so the nostalgia for me is not the book that shall not be named. By 1985, I was in either 11th or 12th grade. And, you know, so if it was May, I would have been finishing up 11th grade. Wait, you're older than me? Apparently. Oh, yeah, I was born in 68. Oh, I'm 70. So, okay. Yeah. You're 70? You look. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not. That's why he's sheltering in place. He's got to stay home. <laughs> Potions of longevity he's, and all he's that. High risk. You ever notice how, like, every wizard in a module has unnaturally long age? They're always like 150. So, so to, you know, so by 1985, for me, D&D was kind of out of vogue, you know? I mean, I did still continue to play to probably about 89. At least for me, it was. I mean, look, I was in 11th grade. It didn't seem that cool anymore. And so when I when I think of nostalgia, I'm trying to recreate the early 80s for me. And so I just, for this book, I just don't associate it with that. Well, well given your opinion on Unearthed Arcana, it shows. Well, yeah, so let's talk about specialization because that's one that all players liked. And many DMs, I think, if they un understood the ramifications, had a challenge. So I'll ask the defense, would you allow double specialization at first level? Let me, first of all, before we go any further with this, uh, let's, let's, let's get a, a firm basis of understanding here. Uh, does everyone here remember where specialization came from? No. Len Lakofka came up with the concept with the Archer class in Dungeon Magazine, and it was expounded upon for Unearthed Arcana. So when we take that into account to begin with, we already, that it's a Lakofka 
rule, all right, with what we were talking with what you gentlemen were talking about about Len before and some of his esoteria. Um, I think it's dubious to begin with. And no, I would probably not allow double specialization. But again, I would say that because of a, a cultural thing. I don't think that you can become a double specialist in a weapon at first level. You don't have that kind of time. Yeah, but it, it, the, the rule itself doesn't preclude it. The rule itself says that you could be, yes. Right. What about you, Vic? I have some people in my group that do do the double specialization, but I've put limits on it because I felt that uh, the Lofka rule, as uh, Mr. Carlos likes to say, is just it's not written correctly. It's 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 it should be um, it should be modified to 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 reflect a player's level and dedication of this and and. I've also come back and said to players, well, when have you had time to practice? When have you had time to sit there every day like a cat cavalier? Now, Carlos will agree with me here. The cavalier has the uh, the bonus for his sword, and is it the lance there? Uh, the, the weapons uh, of choice. and Yeah, the weapons of choice is the cavalier. I asked Mike, players when they want to do this double specialization. So when do you have time to do this? When do you have three hours a day to do this? When you're doing a hex crawl all the way across Greyhawk, you don't. So I try to limit the uh, the abilities on the uh, double specialization as much as I can. So is it fair to say that a, uh, forget about with surprise, that a specialized bow fighter could potentially inflict 32 hit points of damage in one round. Tell me where you get that. From bows, fighters and rangers using long, short, or composite bow as a special weapon are entitled to a point-blank range between 6 and 30 feet. They're plus 2 to hit and damage, and any successful hit deals out double damage, a total of 60 to 16 points. Okay, yeah, a point-blank range. I forgot about the point-blank range rule on it. So two shots, a first-level fighter can inflict potentially 32 points of damage before that, the most a person could do is, at, on a large creature, would be 24 points, assuming they had 18 double zero strength using a long lance or a two-handed sword. To me, that seems a 50% increase in potential damage. And then if they have a strong dex, which, of course, with method five, they're basically, they could be plus five to hit. So they're acting... So that and and I love specialization. I think for fighters who get shafted, it's good to give them because they have no power increase. They only get plus one to hit per level. But this basically what what I've what I've seen happen is that the first level orc who could take one or two hits possibly they get one shotted now, uh, and they become the goblins and the kobolds of of the unearthed arcana book that shall not be named era. And everything gets powered up. Knolls are now orcs. Uh, and so these monsters, which you could use at lower level, they become very problematic because of the power curve. And then what DMs yeah. have to do, and this is, and again, part of this, you know, we want to get you guys use it. How do you accommodate that? Where other players who are not specialized, now you have to change the power curve. You know, instead of throwing 10 kobolds at a first level party, which is challenging, you're potentially throwing 10 orcs first level or 10 gnolls or hobgoblins. And then if the fighters go down, you've got a potential TPK. So I'll start with uh, Carlos and Vic. How do you adjudicate that in the land of specialization? Let me ask you, I, I'll, 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 
it's rude to answer a question with a question, but I think I'm going to do it in this case uh, just for the benefit of, of, of posing my answer. Uh, how often do you really think that your fighter with is going to be at that point blank range and able to unleash those those attacks on on a higher level character in that situation? Well, do you think that that's going to happen? Is that going to be a commonplace thing? Do you expect tactically they're going to try to make sure that happens as much as possible? Right, they're going to try to do that. Right. I, I would agree with that, but I would also say that. You got to remember what they're what exactly what we're saying here, okay? For the point blank range, we're talking about a relatively short distance, okay? I think that you are going to find that it's not going to be as common an occurrence as you think. Uh, at least in my experience with specialized bowmen, it's not. Also, keep in mind that you can't double specialize as a as a, uh, a range That's fighter. Correct. That's correct. So, but and also, ahead, and also, I'm going to add to Carlos's point here. As a dungeon master, I make make sure that the enemy closes to within hand combat range as fast as possible because it's just the nature of the beast. And we're going to go to keep it blood red falls, gentlemen. We're going to we're going to go back here a little bit to your memories on top of the keep. What did I ruse? Rule sixty four. Getting behind uh, objects for these monsters, like the goals and stuff, they get behind objects, and their and their AC goes from oh four to negative four really quick. So uh, you're taking away some of that advantage too of those double specializations. So well, back back, back to, to the power game concern, a first level fighter player's handbook using method four probably has a 14, 15, 16, maybe 17, very unlikely having an 18 strength. A method five fighter who's rolling 9d6, now I've seen it, I rolled a 14 with 9d6. I'm rolling. I'm ready to roll. With potential age adjustment, may have, most likely gonna have at least a 17, probably an 18, which means they'll have exceptional strength. If you allow double specialization, which the rules do allow, as a longsword, they are potentially plus four, plus five to hit, three per two attacks, and what it does is it changes the compo the component how you make encounters for first level. And now you have fight you have you have fighters who are very good at fighting, which is great. But if they get overwhelmed, the rest of the party is dead because you've you've tipped traditionally or tried to. You're now throwing harder monsters so they can be a challenge. And so right. I, I, this is not a bash, but this is you know part of the show is if you're going to use UA. How do you do it and not blow up? Because what I've seen is DMs will then say, okay, I can't throw orcs, I can't throw goblins. I gotta right. throw gnolls at this first level party. And once mm -hmm. the fighter, one of the two fighters go down, it's potentially game over. They've got halberds and reach weapons and grappling and all this other stuff. So how sure. have you accommodated, you know, the most egregious is the bow, but how do you accommodate that without causing the rest of the party to potentially be in, in more harm's rate. So I'll go with Vic and the, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll go with Carlos and then Vic again. Well, I think what you're essentially asking is this time-honored question, all right? If you're watching uh, the movie The Avengers, how do Captain America and the Black Widow, how do they possibly contribute to a fight that Thor and Iron Man are in? The answer is that they're performing different roles in that combat, all right? They're acting in different fashions, supporting, doing different 
sorts of sorts of things, lobbing flaming oil, doing all kinds of things that could possibly even up the 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 score very easily. Right. So I think that there are other ways to contribute to a fight than just strictly numerical damage. I see what you're saying. What you're saying is is very true about the power curve and making sure that everybody stays engaged and that everybody feels like they can contribute to a fight. But I would argue that if you're playing your character properly, then what you're doing is you're not thinking one-dimensionally. You're trying to think of what you can do in many different aspects to contribute to that fight, whether it be area control, battlefield control, whatever. Yeah, and and, and the, the, you need to be fluid with your character. If you cannot be a fluid player character, that, and you're going to be this one-dimensional, all I'm going to do is hack and slash. Well, Carlos and I both know that this 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 character eventually is going to die a very gruesome death <laughs> because. He is not adaptable, and the player is not adaptable, and it doesn't make for a fun game at all. Uh, again, I'll go back to Keep of Blood Red Falls. The character levels are 8 through 10 to play the module, and I'm battling you guys with uh, 18 knolls on top of a keep, and I'm effectively holding you back for for extended periods of time until other things can happen. I mean... Is that normal? Well, sure. I mean, you're, you're looking at it. I'm using every rule I can to make sure that it happens. And Carlos knows, as well as I do, you use each and every rule that you can to your advantage, while the players have to use their abilities to overcome those rules, you know? And this is why they're built into the game. Go ahead, Dan. Can I roll my strength? <laughs> of course you can. <laughs> How many rolls do I get? I can't even find it in this book. Where is it? What are you playing on? What are you playing? I'm a fighter. Okay. You are playing a fighter. You are going page with. Se- page and you're 74. Playing, and you're doing that five, correct? Yeah, page 74. Thank yeah, you. 74, and you're doing uh, nine. By oh, the no, way, no. I should also mention, nine. if I remember right, James, did you not roll up your magic user using method five for the Greyhawk hex crawl? Yeah, I did. I don't think you have all 18s, do you? No, but I've, I've got pretty good stats. Uh, you do. You have decent what's, stats, what's, but I don't think you're unbalancing. Do you think so? Um, I did. I did. I'd, like, I'd like to say that I was shocked when I saw that, and I did not approve that. That's why I did it. I know. Method one is the, that's the way to go. Which is fine, if that's the way you want to do it. There's a reason why there's a reason why it's called method five and there's four other methods. You can use whichever one you want. Why like I said, that? it's just another tool to put in the box. When I grew up, we rolled three die six down the line. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Actually, we here, didn't get off my lawn. I just wanted to say that. That's right. Get off. I don't think he's ever rolled All three right. to six. I get nine, I get nine of these babies. This is awesome. You ready for this? Let's see. Let's let's see if it's broken. This is the test. James, if my strength is what, this game is broken. Uh, if if it's if you if you roll an eighteen, which again, it's not, it's not impossible not to roll it, because for instance, to, Dan's po- uh, to Carlos's point, my magic user has seventeen intelligence, seventeen wisdom, seventeen dexterity, c- charisma of eighteen. I'm sorry, constitution of eighteen as a as a, a magic user, charisma of twelve, you're not help- of fifteen. You're not helping us. 
Well, I have three 17s and an 18. That's pretty good. All right, well, here Each I go. I, nine of these. Yes, nine. And you've almost go. died six times. Well, I that's because I'm a magic six. user. I, I wasn't a drow magic user, which I should have been, but that's another story. But then I couldn't use method that's five. That's number one. Let's, let's, I already see, I think one. you should have. I think you should have nine six-sided dice and just roll it off. I'm still five. waiting to hear where Dan's rationale that having the 18 strength is going to be a game breaker. Yeah, that's your role as a fighter to be to, uh, to be the, a frontline fighter, right? We just mm-hmm. talked about how you're going to contribute to a fight based on your archetype, right? So Wait. shouldn't you have? Wouldn't it be uh, worse if you had like a night uh, 18 charisma? Yeah. Actually, you know what? You know what my strength is? Yeah. What? It's a 14. <laughs> I started with a six. I never rolled anything yeah. higher than a four. I had like five straight twos. Yeah, my first, my one of the fighters I rolled for, I think, uh, Doug's game, he allowed us to use method five. Because, of course, when I'm a player, this book is wonderful. And uh, sure. I rolled nine dice, I got a 14. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, so it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, all so, right. So. so let's go over this. Let's talk about, now we'll turn it around. What are things in this book, what are things that should have been in this book that were not in this book? Well, I would, and for, I would for prefer Carlos. to go with, for me, what I hate about this book more than what, if we're going to flip this around, they had two chances between the Dungeon Master's Guide and this book to fix grappling, pummeling, and overbearing, and both failed miserably. Those rules are still way too cumbersome. They're way too baroque. They're way too. They're way too useless. Well, there's two versions for those who have not read it. There's the quick and dirty, which is what almost I use all the time because I don't have time to figure it out because I haven't memorized it. Or the second version, which you hope would have been better than what was in the DM guide, and it's just a new version right. of crazy. Yeah, yeah. I that's that's the first thing when I think about this book that I can't stand is that they had two cracks at it and they botched it both times. Second of all, I would never defend comeliness. I would never defend the inclusion of Dro or Spurfneblin as player characters. I don't like either of those. But again, I think that the good way outweighs the bad in this. Great. How about Vic? What's your things that you dislike? And, And I'll actually put things I do like, so go ahead. All right. Things I don't like. I don't like it that druids and clerics don't have cantrips. I wish they did. I mean, they gave it to the magic users in the illusionist. Why can't a cleric have a simple cantrip or a druid have a simple cantrip? It should be it should be fairly easy and everything else. Uh, I agree with um, Carlos about the Snurfeblin. I just think that's just out of line. As for the drow, I've been playing drow since God, time immemorial, and I, I just it, it, they need to be toned down just a little bit, but they also should have a major. They should have uh, not major, but uh, a very um, animosity should be a little bit more, more, more like hatred for when they're above the ground from the from the elves, uh, other elves, and so that their life is a lot tougher than it is. Um, uh, uh, the 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 barbarians are are a, a little bit over overbearing, especially when it comes down to magic and stuff. But you know, there's nothing I can do about that. And uh, I don't I don't especially like Method Five myself. So, 
Next, gentlemen, so, your so turn. So here's what I like. I do like specialization. I just think it has to be managed so that you don't have unbalanced, um, you know, again, that, that, you know, whether we like it or not, if, if fighters can use specialization as it's written. Now, another question I have for you, do you, um, do you allow multi-class fighters to specialize? No. That is something that has been bandied about for a long time, and uh, I, I do not personally. And I do not as well. But it doesn't. Oh, that's that's, that's that an impossibility. Be- There's no time for a fighter that's a multi-class to to do to just sit there and go. Okay, I'm going to get three hours a day, four hours a day with my weapon as practice. That's just impossible. Well, for, I mean, yeah. all the other things that they have. Well, to do, for me, it's you know. it's to give, and I'm not a big fan of Rangers having it only because the fighters kind of get screwed. They don't really have a whole lot of powers. Give them one thing that's a good fighter thing. But in, as rules is written, Rangers get it as well. So I do like specialization because fighters should fight much better than, you know, it, at first level, I know that's a tradition, at least now they have a chance to really be exceptional and they're gonna hit and they're gonna attack more than once per level thing. So I do like that. I agree for the, I agree, agree with you, Dan, or James, about that, but it should be only hand-to-hand combat, not archers and stuff like that with, with bows and distance weapons. I think I think a fighter should be more of the, the upfront in your face advantage than than having the archery thing because i had players who would be short sword specialized double specialized 18 decks or drow and they'd be like yeah now i get attacked three times per round because i'm double specialized in short swords well the worst for me had would have been the dart specialist from uh second edition oh that was imagine that with a dart to the hornet's nest or something horrible like that but uh one other thing we no one has mentioned yet about this book that I absolutely adore, and this is just me as a gray hawk guy, the non-human yep. deities inclusion is fantastic. Well, I assume, oh, I yeah. assume that's Dan was going to say that's the one thing he did like about it. But well, I, I'd like to talk about that because yeah, I'm a huge, huge fan of Roger Moore's uh, articles in Dragon Magazine. Uh, I, I absolutely love the uh, the deities. I use them all the time. I even referred to your Tris today because i think we still have you to did, and i wanted to mention something interesting to you dan about your trust um one of my conspir- co-conspirators uh for castle entertainment is commissioning an artist to do all the gods of greyhawk that have never been drawn before including non-humans your trust was one of the first they did and the picture is awesome oh I fantastic i need to send it to you you need to get you t-shirts. You have a picture of Yertris, and it's awesome. Thank you. Though they're fantastic. I I love the deities. Some of the concerns that have been raised, and I don't know if I care that much about this, is that some people didn't like the fact that they were then now kind of canonized. So, in other words, are you supposed to now record? You know, these are the deities of the. You know, these are the known deities. Where whereas. Typically, you could pick whatever deities you would make the deities yourself. So, do you guys have any trouble with them kind of becoming canonized? No, I, I like the fact that they were canonized. I, yeah. I support that entirely. I As love matter that of fact, that I wish they would have came out with a uh, deities and demigods uh, 1.5, if you wish, you know, to, to add these in along with some of the Greyhawk. Uh, I would uh, have loved that too, Zach. That would yeah, have been awesome. It, it would have been. It would have been. It's just expanded it that much. And if they wanted to put in Forgotten Realms, I, I really wouldn't have cared. But it would have been. It would have been a, 
uh, a, a, a bigger tome and something I would have really enjoyed. What I would have, what I would have really liked, because I'm a big fan of these publications, like Judges. Oh, who's that? <laughs> this is the the uh, mini that I have of um, from the Dragons uh, series from uh, Dungeons and Dragons. You notice what's in its mouth? That's a Drizzt Dwarden figure from Forgotten Realms. <laughs> it's, it's not a. It's not a. I don't gnome. know how that got there. It's gonna be a gnome. No, I don't hate gnomes. Oh, that's right. You're no. I do hate Forgotten Realms, though. (laughs) Hey, Carlos, all my Forgotten Realms stuff is sitting in boxes over to my right here. So you don't have to put this up there. This is like my my actual testimony to my physical hatred and loathing of that setting. Please continue, though. The campaign that shall shall not be named. That's gotcha. Yeah, yes. that's what it should be. We should. I think Carlos and I will agree that it should be the campaign that shall not. Well, be we, had, we had Ed, we had Ed, it's like power work stunned. Yeah, we for had me. Ed, we yeah. had Ed on the show, and he was very gracious. And 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 it's interesting because I'm I'm not that familiar. I don't have the level of depth. I mean, I know Greyhawk better, which doesn't say a whole lot. Um, you know, but it was D and D for me for a while when I wasn't playing because I didn't have a group. And the computer games were based in in, in that campaign. So, um, in some ways, because of those, I know that campaign a little bit better. But to me, D and D is Greyhawk. So I agree with that. So what what did I like about this? Well, specialization. Now, Lackbar still loves you, James. That's good. Wonderful. I appreciate that. <laughs> I like you know I liked more information. I you know pole arms. I never knew anything about them. People make fun of that. Gary Gygax has this fetish for pole arms. But hey, it's kind of cool that they have them all listed here. That's great. Some of the spells fix some of the problems. You know, players hate to have to rest for a week. Players hate being sucked for levels. Well, if you give them news that, uh, you know, they're going to go after a white in this barrow, they can cast negative plane protection. There's ways around it without having to find you know, a 16th level cleric to get restoration who's not going to cast that on, you know, people. So there's things. There are some spells that are still broken. You know, Sipa's Snake Sigil. If you read that a certain way, that basically, if it hits, you can imprison any creature it hits for as long as the magic user wants to. There's, and, and I've seen articles back and forth. And so as a DM, it's just more spells you have to figure out, but some of them are really cool. And some of the magic items are good as well. You know, it's, it's nice to have field plate and full plate because now the fighters and particularly paladins and cavaliers who are the only ones who should be wearing them um, have some other things. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff there. So, uh, but you also, there's also magic items that are a little overpowered. I think the rod of security is one of them. I mean, if you look at it and you study it, you could put a, practically put an army in there, have a magic user teleport across Greyhawk, drop the rod of security, and 200 men come rolling out, and you have a you know you have a battle. So I mean, there's 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 good and bad on both sides, yeah. you know. And it, those items should be even rarer than they are inside the DMG, far as I'm or inside here, inside the Unearth Arcana. They should be even you know more rare than they they have. So. Yep, and that's up to a DM when they when they're rolling for treasure too. I mean, you look at it. And Carlos has been in the same place I am. You're looking at it, going, "They rolled this. No, they're going to get this instead." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely have. I would argue um, there's a few things like the sepia snake sigil that you brought up. Really, though, you could read the ghoul, the 
their paralyzation the same yeah. way if you really wanted to. So there, I mean, that harkens back to Monster Manual, which was the first of the, of the Holy Trinity written. And if you really wanted to go back to overpower magical items, I would take I would I would let every single player in my game have a rod of security before I would let there be one rod of beguiling. In the yeah, party. we talked about that one. It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, but so and of course, a rod of beguiling is in what book? The uh, the uh, the book that shall be named. Exactly. Shall be named. No, 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 no. Carlos, get this. He said shall be named. So now you got to start sorry. using the sorry. name. <laughs> so uh, well, we'll, we'll, I, I, we're slowly. I, this is not something that you're going to get in, in a day. You got to get these guys to warm up to some of the rules and acknowledge that some of them are all right. And well, well, you know, you, you, you don't change the hearts of men overnight. But, you change them slowly. Yeah. The revolution will not be won in one day. We used we used this book back in the day. It was part of it, and as players, we were super excited. Um, as DMs, we didn't care because we were all young and we just figured it out. Um, but it was it felt like a different game when this came to it. Uh, as far as if you took all of it, and I, I'd say the thing I would want, and I guess you could say that was second edition, if they just would have split this up, republished the DMG with this, so that if you wouldn't have this schism between them, that there's just one thing. But they eventually did that with 2E, and I get it. No one wants to buy additional books, but if you're buying additional book anyway, what's the difference? Guys, guys, like I said earlier, 2E was Lorraine Williams' way of trying to get more cash into into, into TSR. And I bet you if Gary would have done it, I bet you he would have taken Unearthed Arcana, Articles of Dragon, and everything else, and done a re-edit of everything, and it would have been that much better. You know, I, I can't see Gary going out that far. You know, James, I have a question for you. Do you feel like Unearthed Arcana is what changed the game, or do you think actually we were seeing it in other places even prior to that? Because if you read the modules that are coming out prior to Unearthed Arcana and surrounding in that area, I think we were seeing a slow transition of the game to something else anyway, yeah. as the game was becoming bigger and as the rule bloat became heavier. And I think every edition tends to see this happen where the game begins to transform over time. I don't know that I would put all that solely at the feet of Unearthed Arcana. I can see where you would put it as a cultural touchstone. That's exactly right. As okay, this is this is the the frame of right. reference that epitomizes right. it, but I don't know that I would say that it's completely responsible for it. No, either. I agree. My, my version. Go ahead. You guys want rule bloat? Let's talk rule bloat right, right well, here. I mean, you got the <laughs> wilderness survival guide and the dungeoneer survival guide. This is rules bloat. I mean, some of the stuff in these are really nice. I mean, you can you can have a really fun campaign. Dungeon masters can really pull some shenanigans but i mean they 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 just went crazy with these two books as far as i'm concerned <laughs> right, and that and that's and that's to me is what uh, it's exactly what carlos said and that's every edition you know fifth edition all of them they get to a point there's so much material because they got to make money and people want this they flesh it all out it becomes this unwieldy thing and then the new version comes out they strip it down to its essence whatever that essence they're trying to do and it repeats and I, I agree. Right. So for me, uh, you know, the book that shall not be named is really more about 
it's like the fall of the Berlin Wall. The fall of communism was happening for a while. You had ability right. checks, you had uh, Dragonlance, you had this more heroic versus the zero to hero kind of gritty uh, motif. That was changing uh, over, over time. This was the touchstone because to like what uh, like Vic said, then the, the idea that the DM would make a ruling became less and less uh, appealing. It was more about, I need to know how to jump over a cavern with when I'm strapped with two other guys. Well, now there's a rule for it. I go see Doug Niles' book and I look it up and weather in the Underdark. So yes, I agree. The book itself didn't change it. It was a, codif- it was a touchstone to that. That's well said. How do you feel about a skill-based system being strapped onto advanced Dungeons and Dragons in the form of something like uh, the profi- non-weapon proficiency yeah. that we saw coming to vote? Yeah, I was not, a, I was not, a, it made sense we just, I, I thought it was not necessary, just like the Dungeoneer Survival Guide. What I like, you know, we're not reading this book. The things I liked about the Dungeoneer Survival Guide was it really made the Underdark vast. It wasn't a small dungeon. What I didn't like about it was, what we used to just say is, hey, you're a fighter, do you know how to arm wrestle? You don't need an arm wrestling skill. You rolled under your strength, you modified it based on what level of fighter you were, and you did it. Now everything became a skill, which is you know what we were talking about with Kelly's list of skills, um, and, and that's always been a tension, right? The only the only the thief could climb walls, but you know only thieves can climb walls if they're a sheer. There's no rope, you know, and uh, my monk would. Well, yes, different. people have thieves skills. I apologize. Um, Eventually, we, that led itself to everyone can have a skill and now classes didn't have these set of abilities that were unique to them. So, right. um, and that's fine. There's plenty of games that do that, but that's not D&D as we've played it, is, is my thing. Well, that falls into what Dan was saying about archetype, though, yeah, too, to some Exactly. Point. So I think this is, uh, any other final comments, Dan? Uh, yeah, I just, can, we, can we talk about Death's Door real oh, quickly? Oh, yes, Death's Door. The spell? Yeah, because I, I hear a lot about it. And w- was that also something, was that designed to reduce mortality rate? I don't know that it was designed to reduce mortality rate. I think what it was was it was designed to give the players another option as, you know, I think that I think a lot of times what you do is you give players levers to pull, you know, possible chan- op- opportunities. I don't know designed to actually reduce a mortality rate, though. Because if it did, it wasn't very effective the way the spell is written. Yeah, because a lot of people were playing negative 10 is death anyway, right? right. And you just bind right. people. So what does death's door really do for you? I mean, it... it yeah, you exactly. To, you have to rest? Does it? Do you play... Does it eliminate the requirement of rest? Because that's the big problem, is that, yes. right, in, in, you've got to right. rest for what a, that's a week. The, that's the biggest... That's the biggest thing is, oh, it... it Sort of what I feel like it was doing is if you read earlier in the book, the ability the Cavaliers have to fight up to negative hit points. All right. They have that ability according to their 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 character class. I think that this death store was designed to allow other classes to be able to emulate that ability. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, everyone, took, they got that from the uh, giant boar. Right? Isn't the giant boar can steep? I always forget that. When you yeah. the DM, you got to remember that, right? That boar's not dead. Right, right. Well, I think, to me, the best low-level 
cleric, cleric spell that they added in there was aid, probably. That's a great spell. What does aid do? It's sort of like a hybrid bless heal spell. Right. Oh, okay. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty uh, impressive spell for first level. Well, I will go on Second record. Is, I, I, am a, I, am a, I do like the idea of cantrips. Because I like the less powerful stuff, and so stuff like cantrips, I think, seems like. But the problem with cantrips is the way that they were done in in first edition is, if you remember correctly, once you hit second level, you lose them all. No, I don't like that at all. Unless you waste a spell slot to to keep them around. Right, exactly. So, you know, depending on how you want to run your your magic users, you know, everybody that I play with that we use cantrips. We, they hit second level, and they're like, oh, what happened to my cantrips? I thought I could cast these still. Well, right. you can, but now you've got to sacrifice some slots. And, and yeah. no one's going to do that. Yeah, no one's going to do that. I'll no do one's going to do that for flavor. Right. Well, they should, but they won't. I will. You would. <laughs> I would like, like to. I would like, like to. I would like to complain. Have you noticed how few illusionist cantrips there are compared to magic user cantrips? Yeah, but the ones that they have are really good. Two delusions, a great cantrip. Is it as good as B? It's way better than B. Nothing. How is that possible? It. I know. I know. It's scary to think about it, but it really is. It really is. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word. Well, well, seriously. I mean, let all joking aside. Consider this. We've talked about before on previous Grog Talk episodes about how you have to have an illusionist-friendly DM in order to make that class work properly. Well, since it's an illusion spell, if you have an illusionist-friendly DM, to delusion, you can get away with a lot of shenanigans to, you know, to, to get Victor's term, to coin it, use his phrase. You can, use, you can do a lot of stuff with that. So I think it's probably the most powerful cantrip you've got if you're, you've got an illusion-friendly uh, DM. Wow, wow. Carlos, I'm stunned that you did not lead with this argument. This is the best <laughs> argument you've made in two hours. <laughs> Would you really say that, Dan? Yeah, yes, you're telling me that there's a cantrip out there for my gnome illusionist thief that is, like, very useful? If I... Well, if you really want me to go any further with that argument, I will also tell you this. Your gnome illusionist thief, because of Unearthed Arcana, can aspire to higher levels and can also cast a wider range of spells, most of which have no saving throws. Mm. Chromatic Orb comes to mind right away. Phantom uh, Armor. Phantom uh, Armor is the best first-level yeah. illusionist spell there is. Phantom Arm Why is do broken. I have an image... I have an image of Darth Vader holding out his hand to me. Join the dark side. You're tempting me with the power. Listen, man, I'm just telling you the truth. That's oh all there God. is to it. This is terrible. your ears. You can, oh you, you can see it, Carlos, in his, in his, in his mind. He's coming to the dark side, as he calls it. He's seducing me with powerful gnome. Imagine if he was a Smurf Neblin gnome, too. I mean, oh, yeah. ooh. Ooh. No, no. Don't look, overplay it. Look yeah. at that power. Who's just these for Look you at know? that power. My phone all of a sudden automatically, my phone for some reason, the light came on all of a sudden yeah. as soon as I said that. Ah, right. oh, the gnome. You, you, you lost me. Whatever thing I liked about the uh, this argument, I lost when you said gnome, Sir Nevelin, illusionist, whatever else. That's right, right. As, as you gain me, you lose James. Right. This, yeah, this, is the yeah. conu- this is the conundrum I you face. I had to put my eggs in one bucket here because a basket because it, it, it's it's a, it's clear to me that uh, that I'm uh, I'm throwing pearls of the swine here with these arguments. You're illusionist assassin deep gnome. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. 
All right. Well, um, again, thank you to Vic and Carlos for this tongue-in-cheek discussion about the book that shall not be named. We had a good time with that. Um, I did, too. Uh, really appreciate it. So, again, judge for yourself. And, again, it is part of the game, you know, just like Greyhawk Adventures is part of the game. Uh, you know, all these books up till second edition. It's part of first edition. You get to decide what you want part of it. Um, ultimately, if you don't have a fun game and a compelling story, no one cares what rules you have. And, um, and so that's what it's really about. And you've heard from these great uh, DMs, which we'll see here at GrogCon 2020. Um, so Vic, quick uh, plug of, not quick plug, plug of your Kickstarter. And then uh, what, where can people find you that? Blood Red Falls, it's up on Kickstarter. I'm going to add another uh, a funding level today. So uh, with a little uh, something here, I'm um, working on them right now. As uh, we were speaking here, I've got a, I call these the Guardian of the Die. It'll fit a 20-sided die right here in your your uh, your thing, so you can uh, paint them up and do whatever you want. They'll just come in a, a match gray after I get done painting them. So you can paint them whichever way you can, like Dan or James and Dan's one I gave them at uh, GrogCon. Carlos saw it firsthand. That's right. It's, I got to get one over to Carlos, too, to put on awesome his shelf too. behind him. It was awesome. Place of honor. Vic, you know what? You should put up a link to your Kickstarter in the chat. Yes, please do. Right. And we'll put that in the and, show notes uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, I got to get one of those, Carlos. One of these days, you got to get a hold of me, and I could send you one. So oh, that'd be I'd, awesome. like to see, that'd be awesome. I'd like to see one on the shelf back there over your uh, – <laughs> yeah. see your, your, well, uh, yeah, I'll make sure I won't blur out next time, too, then. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, okay. We'll figure it out, Carlos, you know. Uh, James, good. and there's a couple things I want to do before we sign okay. off. The first thing is I'm, I'm going to see if the book holds up because I promised I would do this. All right. Hold on. Yeah. Okay. So the binding didn't break. Well, I, I actually re-glued mine, so it should be pretty good. So there you oh, go. did you? Yeah. Okay. There's no, no way in hell I'm doing that to either one of my two. There's no way. It would, be, it would just be a paper cascade. Oh. But James, uh, well, there is one last item I'd like to mention about on Earth Arcana. Okay. It's very, very brief. You forgot something to mention something that you do really like about on Earth Arcana. Okay. I know you like this about the okay. book. So, uh, being totally serious, social class and birth. Uh, I do. Order. Oh yeah. I forgot to mention that. That's something I know that you a uh, rule that uh, 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 a particular uh, chart that you like. I did so. like that. Doesn't that depend? Go ahead. Yeah. Doesn't, it, doesn't it dictate your money and don't you, it, it has effects, right? It does. It has a lot of effects. But also, also, gentlemen, it adds greatly to your campaign. If sure. you roll up and you roll, like one of my characters rolled a double zero, she is royalty. But she was in Greyhawk when she was found, and it's I—I I had to roll all this stuff, and and it makes a character so much vaster and deeper that you could really play it out, and especially for NPCs and stuff like that that you're eventually going to bring into the game and stuff. It just—it just—it's amazing the dynamics that can happen. You know, you're the seventh. You're the seventh son of uh, of royalty. You ain't getting nothing. <laughs> so what we're talking about, for those who ha don't have the book, yeah. it's in page 82 and 83, where you figure out your social status and birth table. Now, what it makes it clear is that for player characters, initial social status, social status has no effect on starting money and equipment with the exception of cavaliers and paladins. So you still get the same thing, but it gives you a flavor. Like Vic said, right. you know, why, why, why if you came from great nobles and royalty, 
are you a first level druid or a thief or whatever? That's, it gives yeah, you something yeah. to, uh, one thing that a lot of players, especially if they're consider them disposable, they don't have nothing, they, they, they don't have anything to hang their hat on, and you have an immersive world, this is an opportunity for, to plug them in. So it's a, it's a, it's a good table, absolutely. I, 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 sorry for opening up the can of worms again, but I would be remiss if we didn't bring up that chart because I know you do like it. Can, can I, I say, is, is this heresy? I don't like the cover. It is like, one of my lesser favorite easily pieces for sure. Yeah, it, it just seems a little cartoonish to me. I mean, I know a lot of people actually like it. You know, you know, and there's something I would love love to have seen in this, and just by looking at the cover, I would have loved to see more more um, alchemy tables, something something in there for for creation of potions and stuff like that. That would have been that would have been great to have some of that stuff for a magic user and stuff inside sure. that book. Sure. But uh, going back to the uh, uh, charts for the 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 uh, birth order and stuff like that. I mean, I, I had a character in our campaign. He was a uh, uh, lesser noble. His father and mother weren't married and stuff like that. It, it just, it, there was there was such a dynamic there going on that it's just like, oh, we're going to have some fun with this now. So, I mean, y'all, you know, everybody's got their own way of running their own campaign. But I mean, that is one of the charts that every magic, every Every dungeon master should use once their character gets past first level. You start rolling that stuff up, and then you can add more storylines and hooks to your whole campaign. And you've always got an outlet. And Carlos will agree with me that you could just you could do do stuff like that all the time. It's just like, oh well, your sister got uh, kidnapped, or she's getting married. Now you got to go travel all the way across Greyhawk and a hex crawl oh, or whatever. You know? <laughs> absolutely. I, uh, and uh, go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, Vic sounds like he's on the. Death Star with when they're being attacked. You know, it's like, I just hear this background sound like that's the 3D that, printer that's going off. That's good. No, it's, guys. it's no problem. It's just I was just like, wow, that's uh, uh that's right. Can we can we uh, I want to pray to your because your is of course the orc deity of, of disease, right? And so I think at this time I thought it was Jubilex. Maybe give a roll. I thought you were doing Jubilex. Oh, no, 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 because Yurtris is the uh, orcish god of death and disease. Oh, yes, that's true. And, yeah, they, and she's come out of which book, Dan? What name the book? Oh, yeah, but that was Roger Moore before in Best of yeah, Dragon. which is a dragon compilation. Are we, we going to go over this again? We went over this already. Yeah, this is, this is a Best of Dragon. That's, that's the way I would treat this as a best. Well, I use the term best loosely, but whatever. It is <laughs> excerpts from Dragon. But so, it's, no, but a, you, it's an amalgamation of a lot of things, right, right, Carlos? It's an amalgamation of a lot of things that add a lot of depth to your campaign when you use them. Right. So it's great sure. tools for your toolbox as a dungeon master. Yes. So when, exactly. When I'm quoting, uh, yes. Yeah, so I'm quoting from from the book that Sean be named. When plague or disease strikes a group of orcs, the clerics of Yurtris appeal to him for an end to the illness with great sacrifices of prisoners and slaves. So, um, all right, so I'm going to give a roll to your right, base 10% chance, I believe, right? That will be heard. Victor, I think this is where we're getting sacrificed. I know. Now, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, I should get two rolls. Right, we, just, we just sacrificed Carlos. They, it, it didn't come. Now is Vic. A two. A two, that's right. 
We sacrifice the best truck driving food. I had truck stops all across the country. You know, I, like I said on Twitter, you know, I'm immune so, to the, uh, the coronavirus. So, Vic, can we, can we get a big <laughs> table, altar table for GrogCon 3D printer? Probably about 6'5 to accommodate someone who's about 6'5 or 6'6. That would be helpful. That would be great. Okay. Just bring your bring your own <laughs> sacrificial altar. Next time on Grog. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, I'll, just, and, I'll just start printing it up now. I might have it done by then, and you'll just see it come in boxes to your house, James. Mine only needs to be five foot seven, right. Vic. So don't worry. Some, about some it. assembly required. Mine'll go faster. So, uh, so <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Dan. James, I know you said that people could decide for themselves, but uh, perhaps we could roll to see who won the debate. Well, we're going to do that in just a second. I want to let Carlos uh, tell people how they can uh, get to them, and then we'll do the roll. How, how they can find you. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're talking about what they can do to get my That's products? Right. Oh, yeah. You just go to www.castleentertainment.com. Um, we're having a sale right now. Uh, we realize that right now what James said is true. Money's tight for a lot of people. Um, so we've got a, uh, a sale going on. And I've got something very interesting that's going on, too, with our Patreon. Starting in uh, April, we're giving everybody the chance to get on the Patreon for on April for free. There you go. You can get all the stuff free for that I do for uh, for for Patreon, depending on what level you uh, you join up on, and uh, you know you uh, you get a chance to see if you like it or not. You know, maybe it's not your cup of tea, but maybe you'll find out that you like it, and then when we uh, we start everything back up after uh, things calm down a little bit more, you know, because I don't want to. I don't want to make it onerous on the people that have supported me and helped me achieve my dreams. Um, my job is my, my, I don't feel it's responsible for me to put those people in the poorhouse. Um, this is something I do for love. I, I, I love the game. I love Greyhawk right. and I want to make sure that, you know, everybody um, has a chance to enjoy it. And um, you know, I can make money on it later. We'll worry about that later. Right now it's more important that the community has a chance to stay united and enjoy stuff. Very good. Well, that's awesome. And so if you, it's castle, C-A-S-L, entertainment.com, correct? Yep. You, and Yep, that's correct. Yep, so we'll put that in the show notes. I'm sure you'll put it in the chat. Uh, so go out there, doing be, a, be a patron for next month, and you can uh, see what uh, the, the value that you get and a lot of great modules, including uh, and material. You also have a Twitch, uh, you do a live play on Twitch, and you do your castle talks. When's the next one of those? Next one is Monday. I'm going to have the mistress of monsters, Sarah Dallinger, with me, who is a uh, noted 3D artist, 2D artist, and she has worked for Monty Cook Games, uh, for Chaosium, for a lot of different major publishers. She do- she's recently done uh, a book called Atlas Animalia, which a lot of you may or may not know right over here, a hardcover book in which... It's all about different monsters and their different variants. Like if you have an Arctic uh, owl bear or things like that, she's a scientific artist as well as a, uh, a professional illustrator. So she brings a lot of value. We're probably going to put on a little bit of a monster design workshop okay. tomorrow, on Monday in which we're going to build monsters together and do stuff like that with some input from the crowd. So it should be a lot of fun. Um, and if you guys are interested, I'll give a sneak preview. April's uh, mini module, I believe, is 14 pages long. Um, it has some of my better mapping in it. Uh, it is an elvish adventure that deals with um, some pretty high-level stuff. So if you guys like high-level play, it'll be fun for you. Very good. All right. Sounds good. So, Dan, we're ready to uh, well, roll, right? Yep. Well, I was suggesting two yeah. rolls. 
first to roll to see who won the debate. Right. And then we'll do the die 10 roll for how the episode Excellent. was. Okay. So, 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 so how do we want to do this? Well, do we, do we want to have, how about both of us? How about each team member roll a die 10 and we add up together the two die 10s okay. for the well, team? Well, Jordan, All right, that the production fair. hobgoblin is watching my roll here. We get plus how many? James, what did what I roll? Plus how many? Nine. I rolled a nine. There you go. I rolled a 10. See? Oh. Are you being serious? Carlos, I'm being serious. Carlos, you gotta go do something good. I rolled oh, a nine. Oh, he's got. Oh, Carlos, if, he a, if he gets a ten, I rolled a nine. So, oh. Nineteen and eighteen. I rolled a oh, nine. You rolled a ten. They rolled ten. Oh, nine? There you go. Yeah. I rolled an eight. Is it a nineteen and nineteen? No, it's nineteen. Yes, yeah, nineteen. Well, he rolled a nine. Yeah. Nineteen. No, 19. we rolled a nineteen. They rolled a seventeen. He, he rolled. Seven. Yeah. I rolled an eight. Oh, oh, I thought you said you rolled a ten. Okay. No, I rolled an eight. I said you have to roll a ten. Oh, Carlos, that's no, what I, I thought too. Like you had a ten. I thought he had the same thing. I thought. Carlos. Well, it's it's okay. so close, and uh, I think that was a good thing. Now let's roll how well the show did. Hopefully, we won't get a crap. Who wants to roll for that? I'll do that one too. I got my ten. That's right. right. There you go. Are you yeah. ready? We are. We have a ten. ten. That's that's <laughs> what matters. <laughs> That's what I'm talking That's about. That's right. Everyone's a winner. Everyone's, everyone gets a prize. No, no. There's no losers. It's like Oprah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. come this dice has never done this for me ever before in a game? That's, well, is that that's that's not that's not Amanda's dice, is it? Oh God, no! Holy, those are good. Yeah, that's 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 been banned. <laughs> well, that's banned. But you know, oh, what it's not like from a genie's dice. She rolls one. It's just like. No, I mean, they're sentient, though, because if you I borrowed it. But if you roll it too many times, it starts turning on you. <laughs> it's like the ring. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. don't don't, don't push abuse it. it. Oh, Just, it is. It's don't true. abuse it. Yeah, it's true. You can't abuse the power. <laughs> All right. So, uh, again, for Grog Talk, again, thank you, Vic. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you to our patrons. Thank you to our listeners. We had a great time. Oh, hey, you know what? We didn't do it. Into a, a hex crawl, Carlos. You got that uh, to do uh, next time. Next time, yes, next time. Uh, I'm ready right, to go get, next time. All right, let's get started. I'm ready. No, <laughs> I'm ready. Too. Let's do this. No, it's, <laughs> it's only new. Yeah, no. Yeah. They're in the they're in the stone. Seven, seven hours later. No, that's I'm no. ready for action. Come on, man. I've kept you guys to about an hour every time. An hour every time. Right. I, I my bladder is uh is is seeks seeks uh, another adventure somewhere else at this point. I haven't been away I haven't slept since four I haven't I, I woke up at like four o'clock, four thirty yesterday. Yeah. So I'm 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 yeah, I could probably go to sleep at any yeah. time now. Well, we, we, for next week, well, hopefully we'll have Jim Ward. I got to send him a note. Hopefully he'll still be on. We're going to have then Carlos. If you're available next week, we'll do the hex crawl. So that'll be great. We'll keep up with. Wouldn't miss. We'll it. Keep up with that. Vic, we'll see you soon. Uh, Dan, so for right. for I'm James. I'm Who Dan. are you, Vic? Go ahead, Vic. Vic. Carlos. I'm Carlos. And thanks for seeing us on Grog Talk. We'll see you next time. Uh, take care. This is Big Publishing Company Production. All rights reserved.